You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. You're listening to the Pennsylvania Woodsman, powered by Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. This show is driven to provide relatable hunting and outdoor content in the Keystone State and surrounding Northeast. On this show, you'll hear an array of perspectives from biologists and industry professionals to average Joes with a lifetime of knowledge. All centered around values aiming to be better outdoorsmen and women, both in the field as well as home and daily life. No clicks, no self-interest, just delight in the pursuit of creation. And now, your host, the pride of Pennsylvania, the man who shoots straight and won't steer you wrong, Johnny Appleseed himself, Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. I could not have said it better myself, boys. Thanks for tuning in to the show this week, guys. And you are listening to the show on the Sportsman's Empire with the coolest intro there is. And I can say that because all the folks there that you just heard that put together that intro for me and the Pennsylvania Woodsman Show, they're all my friends and partners on Sportsman's Empire. Uh, some of the voices you heard would be Nick Otto from the Huntivore podcast. Nate Thompson from the Missouri Woods and Water, Andrew Muntz from O2 Ohio Show, Josh Raley, he is the show uh, host for the How to Hunt Deer podcast and the Wisconsin Sportsman, John Teeter from Whitetail Landscapes, Dan Matthews from the Nomadic Outdoorsman, and none other than the Sportsman's Emperor himself, Dan Johnson. Uh, guys, check all those shows out and check all the shows out on Sportsman's Empire. Now, there's, there's, that's just to name a few. There's so many other great shows, a lot of the state-specific shows, and then other uh, very specific topics that, that you know, take up the majority of our network. Uh, great shows, great content. Check them guys out. Uh, these guys have been so good to me. They've helped me gain knowledge and understanding of how to run a podcast effectively, and I've developed great relationships with these guys, and can't thank them enough. I... That was my cool little idea of how I wanted to include some of these uh, some of these guys on my show and just thank them for all they've done. So getting into it, we are in the last week. Oh, I got to shut that off. I uh, I'm actually I'm making jerky today at the moment. That was my alarm that you probably heard in the background for my smoker temperature. We're supposed to be going on vacation the first week, full week of August, like the 31st of next week, 31st of July to August 5th. And I say supposed to because we're, we're, we're supposed to be going to Canada, and we are still waiting on my wife's passport to show up at the door. We started our passport process back the first week of April. They told us it would take 10 to 13 weeks to issue them. 
and we got the passports for our two boys, but this is now week 15 going into week 16, and we still don't have my wife's passport. We're doing everything we can to try to expedite that and make sure we get it. So hopefully it comes, and hopefully I can go on vacation. If not, I'm not sure what plan B will be, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But I was making jerky because I had some rounds from a deer that I shot uh, this past fall in the freezer and finally getting around to making some of that figured it'd be nice to have some some snacks when we're up there and stuff to help you know be out we're gonna be we're supposed to be going out on the lake and going fishing hopefully catch some walleye some bass whatever's biting i really don't care it's just time to get away and enjoy that so that's what's kind of been on my radar planning for that but we're in the last week of july and hard to believe because now we're we're going into planting season for sure and food plots some of the food plots that i I mess with are already planted i i I say that kind of with an asterisk behind it i've done very little on most of the properties that i hunt i can't even really include myself in it but some planting was done i got some vitalized seed in the ground and i'm hoping to do some more planting throughout the the month of august as time permits i'm trying to plan my schedule out between uh you know family and 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 hunting as i can and uh yeah it's kind of overwhelming i i just again i've said it again i said it before i'll say it again i just can't believe how quickly this summer is going by uh getting into this week's show i have somebody who i I should i can't believe i haven't it's it's taken me this long to have them on the show because they're a pennsylvania native and they are a diehard hunter they are constantly out grinding scouting doing everything they got to do to prepare for the season uh big time scouter and the 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 topic of discussion today is summertime scouting and that's not none other than uh, ryan glitzky and ryan and i have uh, a great conversation we start off going that going down a bunch of rabbit hole discussions and part of me wishes that i would have just kept rolling with that because I enjoyed that as much, if not more, than some of the stuff we talked about revolving around summer scouting. Um, I don't know. It's just me personally. Like When it comes to scouting podcasts and getting information, I feel like everyone I've ever listened to, everyone I've ever done with somebody, I feel like you can only take it to a certain point because it's so hard to get specific in podcasts and really take it away and apply it to your yourself i mean i understand a lot of the the basic things we go through and there, there's so much information out there so many good podcasts on scouting whether it's terrain features habitat types and there's always something to take away from somebody with a lot of experience like ryan but uh yeah i just wish i would have dug into that conversation in the beginning a little bit more with him just because it's the kind of stuff where it's experience and man ryan just gets you fired up because he's always he's just always enthusiastic it seems uh he's a really good hunter and uh it was a great conversation so i I don't think you can beat boot leather and uh trail camera information putting your cameras out and just taking it for yourself and learning it yourself um i think once you do that maybe it's a little bit easier to put into perspective something you might have heard in a show like this um speaking of scouting uh real quick if you guys haven't followed the suffering outdoors 
YouTube channel. Um, I was fortunate enough to do a scouting video with John Kolb, and we went through an area that I've been hunting the past few years, did some scouting, put some cameras out, pulled some cards, and we kind of went into detail what I'm thinking in this certain area and put it into video, and it was, it was a great time. Check out that show. John has a great YouTube channel. John actually filmed a triple trophy harvest last year. He killed a bear with his bow. And he got it on film. He killed a, a nice buck with his re, with his recurve bow. First one he ever killed with a stick bow. And then he killed a turkey opening day in Spring Gobbler for that triple trophy. Great channel. Check it out. And check out the video that I did with him. That's Suffering Outdoors. Um, but, yeah, enjoy this conversation with Moose, uh, his, his good old nickname. I should have asked him where he got that nickname from. I'm sure somebody out there has asked him that, and you know, but I don't know the information to that. But great conversation with him. This one fires me up. Um, I, I'm hoping to do more scouting as it, as it comes with whatever time I can make in my schedule. Uh, I'm really hoping – I'm kind of waiting for August because – August is when New Jersey is going to announce their hunting seasons for the fall, specifically if they will have a bear season or not. And if they do announce that and and do decide to have a bear season, I'm going to hopefully shift my focus in August, September, early October to going down to some areas and scouting for bear. And that's where I'm going to try to put some effort in for early October. And then uh, the rest of my hunting is probably going to be picking and choosing a couple properties as I have time throughout the month of October into early November. Uh, I, I Hopefully some of those places I scouted, hopefully some of those places I planted food plots. And then we'll, you know, by that time we'll get into rifle season and I'll be doing my fun hunt at camp, which I can't wait to, uh, I can't wait to do every year. So without further ado, let's get to this show with Ryan Glitzke. Uh, before we do, real quick, just want to give our shout out to our partners, Radix Hunting. Guys, again, trail camera season. If you are looking to get some Gen 600 regular cell, uh, regular trail cameras or M-Core cell cameras, check out Radix Hunting. Quality images and uh, really good as far as price points. Also check out their Monarch Series hunting blinds. And if you're in a state that surrounds Pennsylvania that allows baiting, you know, come to think of it, you know, Maryland, Ohio, some of those close by states that allow baiting, check out their feeders. They have, uh, I think it's a 600 pound feeder with a 20 to 30 foot throw and it's, uh, it's, it's a really quality piece of equipment. So they've got a lot of great stuff. Oh, also not to mention their stick and pick trail camera accessories, whether that's uh, ground stakes for trail cameras or tree mounts. Check out Radix Hunting and also Huntworth. I just got done going through kind of doing an inventory of my hunting gear, hunting clothing. And I've gotten over the years, I've, I'm somebody who doesn't ever purge clothing. And I got this mountain and totes and totes full of hunting clothing. And I finally went through and got rid of a bunch of stuff because I'm making way for my Huntworth stuff. I've got some great light and midweight stuff that I think is going to carry me through most of the season. I'm using the disruption pattern, which is their digital camera. I really, really like that. Keeps me warm, keeps me dry keeps me comfortable uh, using it in turkey season i was really really happy with the way i felt mobility wise um, and temperature wise it was a great set of clothing so check out huntworth 
And with that, guys, let's get to this episode. So, hey, joining us this evening, uh, shame on me for taking so long to have him on the show, but um, we're speaking with uh, Ryan Glitzky tonight. Ryan, thank you so much for uh, hopping on. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It's going to be a good time. It always is. So, how has your scouting season been post-2022 season? Uh, it's been pretty solid. Um, coming off of 2022, 2022 was a, <laughs> it was a rough one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, it's probably my worst season. Um, but that doesn't really deter me. That's hunting. Yeah. You know, especially in areas in PA, you're going to have a season or two like that sometimes. You know what I mean? Um, you're not going to punch the tags you want to punch. Um, but coming into 2023 here in the, in the first year, you know, I kind of had the same mindset like I always do, you know, balls to the wall, you know, boots to the ground and just go. You know what I mean? Um, an area I was hunting last year was kind of my first year in an area. So you know how that is that first year. Um, going into my second, maybe third into certain areas, um, I started to get some confidence in these areas. Spending so much time in a tree last year, coming into this postseason, um, I, had, I saw a lot of things in the tree that I needed to get boots on the ground to confirm. And that's kind of what I did this postseason leading into the summer scouting here. And uh, it's been really good. I, I ended up getting a – you know, a few extra spots you can say that I feel really, really confident, and I kind of fine-tuned a couple spots that I was in last year. Um, but I think I'm in the game this year. Well, that's good to hear, and that was kind of one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you because correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, I was following along in stories and, you know, you know, I heard you on a couple podcasts and stuff, and the, the areas that you spent the most time in last fall, am I accurate? Did I did – I, follow this correctly that you kind of spent most of your scouting in the summertime only in that location there wasn't a lot as much postseason winter scouting boots on the ground yeah yeah especially the last week um we finally got some that cooler weather you know that last week of the season here in pa and the area i actually ended up hunting that last thing i it's been you know, my head's going i'm getting old here so i forget some stuff some numbers but the last what if it's seven days or whatever the season um i pretty much hunted the hub system that i found in the summertime mm-hmm. you know and that's what i did i put all the eggs in one basket um i had some pretty good bucks on camera the weather was there everything kind of lined up and uh i was in the game um it got to the point to where man i wish i had another day or two of the season to be honest with you um i felt really good where i, where, where I was at um but the problem with the summer scouting is once it got in there during the season, there was definitely things I missed. Mm-hmm. Um, I love summer scouting. You can put a lot of it together. But what I've learned with summer scouting, man, you really got to gear it down when you start getting a good area because it's harder to see stuff. You can still apply the same thing postseason to summer scouting, but you really got to slow it down and look at the details more. Right. So um, I'm going to backtrack before we get big into the summertime <laughs> scouting, which is kind of one of the things I wanted to pick your brain about. Mm-hmm. So – Let's rewind. Let's let's uh, x out of twenty twenty two season, and you were hard at it like normal uh, scouting this this postseason in the winter time. So I'm mm-hmm. assuming that you covered a lot of ground and you know covered some tracks and looked at stuff from different angles. Can can you tell me some of the things maybe you learned in that postseason that you didn't realize when you were looking at it in the summertime? Uh um. I would say when I went in here to postseason, but we'll get back to like that area hunting the last week uh, of the season. You know, I went in there. That was one of my top priorities because it was good. Um, I was actually surprised by the amount of deer I seen and the amount of quality deer were in that hub system. Um, so I really wanted to concentrate there first this postseason. Um, I think the biggest takeaway when I got in there 
was really was the betting. Um, I'm not a bed hunter, you know, a specific bet, buck bed, but I hunt the bedding areas in general. And to put the pieces together of the bedding areas, the travel corridor, the food, to sit there and, and really fine tune everything in the wintertime, be able to see the trails, be able to, to find the, the, uh, the faint sign, the bucks are leaving, stuff like that, and really pin all that down to like one or two specific locations in that hub system or just outside that hub system um, where I can go in. I feel like kind of like the kill tree. That's kind of what I was going in this postseason to where I kind of had a, had a tree down in the hub system itself and actually outside the system also along the bedding ridge where they were bedding. I, I picked out a fantastic spot there. So it was kind of the postseason going there was kind of a fine tuning more um, compared, you know, once I was in there, when the leaves were off, everything, the front sign was still fresh from the rut. It was just going in there fine-tuned. And the big thing, probably like I said, would be the bedding I found in general, really piecing the travel corridor together off of that. So did that fine-tuning and piecing the travel corridor, did that lead you to being, you know, not that far off as far as stand location? Did that did that change your mindset of how you have to access that property? Like, what are some of the the minor detail changes that you're looking forward to doing in that location this year if you're, if you're able to hunt it? Yeah, which was – as the season was ending last year, I was kind of in that process, I guess you could say, and it, and it carried over into the postseason because when I told you, I only summertime scouted that mm -hmm. area. So got in there first couple of days and then being mobile, I was moving I, a, a day or two here. And, and as I, I once I got that sweet spot where I felt pretty comfortable where I could kill, the season was over. You know, so when I went into the postseason, I knew where I kind of wanted to generally be. And that postseason just fine-tuned that enough where I'm probably, I'd say, 30 yards from where I had the last day of bow season where I ended up being. Now I feel really confident in that system right there um, where I can go and consistently kill if something's in there. And is that just because it seems like that's going to be a higher odds of traveling in that specific from, from that specific tree? Is that uh, a better wind advantage for you, thermal advantage of spot? Or, or what are some of the attributes that you think is going to be a little bit better? A, a, a little bit of everything. Um, yeah, it's a little bit of everything. The way the system sets up, um, I'm just kind of on the edge, you know, cutting that wind, the thermals, everything just on the edge of that hub where it's kind of blown out to a dead area, like mature timber. Um, I kind of learned they wanted to really hug the edge. There was a couple of clear cuts and around. So that kind of helped me piece the puzzle together of that travel along that edge there, uh, what they preferred. <clears throat> yeah, speaking of edge, one, th one thing I learned big time uh, last year, it was during rifle season, actually. We were doing some, some bushes in, in uh, clear cuts, and uh, there were – Clear cuts I'd been in of different age that were younger in the years past, yeah. and I could find traffic throughout the entire clear cut. I could find sign and everything else. Yeah. And uh, this past year, I was in a cut that was a little bit older. And, man, it was gnarly as all get out. I mean, I came through. <clears throat> I was cut up. It looked like I was in a cat fight. And uh, the, the big eye-opener for me in that cut and what had changed from years past is – uh, about the first 75 yards of use in that first 50 to 70 yards within the edge of that cut is where I found the most deer activity. When I got in the heart of it, yeah. I had, I had nothing and that had really changed. And I think that was one, oh, yeah. one piece when I started yeah. going back to my maps and I was looking at the ages of clear cut, you know, I use the, uh, this, the DCNR's website for the state forest ground mm -hmm. and use that for telling you when that cut happened and everything else engaged yeah. getting that age and stuff. And, you know, it doesn't take long till you look at a cut and I can say, I'm 
bedding, it's probably more of an edge use than an interior use based on that age. Yeah. That was a big eye opener for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot, your terrain, your diversity, that all plays into that. Um, that's why it's so important to me, your postseason. And like I said, summer scouting, it has, it, you know, it's great. You can do it. But it, the postseason, that's where it shines, where you can get into them areas like that, that thick, nasty stuff and not get killed going through it so much and really break down those areas, those clear cuts are just off those clear cuts a lot easier. And you can really pick up a historical sign and know how they're utilizing those cuts, depending on their age. Oh, you know, it all plays in. Like I said, it, that diversity of habitat, diversity of terrain, you got to put all those pieces together when you're in your scout. Yeah, it's a giant puzzle. And when you see it in its most barren state in the wintertime, man, that, that, that tells the – that really tells the tale, in my opinion. But, you know, here yeah. we are. Um, we're uh, almost in July. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. this, this episode's probably going to be towards the end of July when, when you guys are, are listening to this. And, uh, man, it's it's full-blown summer scouting. And, uh, again, yeah. we go, that goes back to how you, uh, how you were handling last year and stuff. So I, I kind of want to know um, – I kind of want to circle back to last year and, and try to – dig into your thought process a little bit so you went into this newer area only summer scouting it um did you have any mentality or or strategy in in breaking down this area from the summertime that would be different than what you normally do in the wintertime uh be honest you know i i pretty much handled the same way you know what i mean i'm still looking for the scrapes the rub lines the, the subtle subtleness of historical sign the stuff you don't you know thumb size uh limits snapped off on the ground that you would walk by normally you know very minute details i'm still trying to look at in the summer as i do in the postseason it's just a lot harder to see you know i can see 150 yards in the in the postseason fairly easy i might be only seeing 30 40 yards in the summer so that's where you got to gear it down and and really really pay attention to the details you know when i went in an area last year it, it was first map wise e-scouting it just lined up it 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 had too much going for it for security cover because that's my number one thing i'm not going to say i'm going to be right in that security cover but security cover is pretty important especially hunting pa with rifle season and the Mm -hmm. deer drives you got to have something you either got to have some type of security cover in the form of clear cuts mount laurel something green briars and also steep terrain. That's going to help them also survive and if you can get that all together that's fantastic but i got to have one of them something in there that's going to get some age at least get these bucks to three and a half or older that's something i'm looking to kill um in this area here it kind of crossed a lot of boxes off and then when i looked at the topography of it it all kind of made sense for travel corridor uh for your travel uh type like not so much your thermal hub but almost your travel hub more than a thermal hub more of a travel corridor a travel hub system was in there it kind of around those cuts like that when you can get a, a travel hub in between a lot of cuts Man, that's deadly hunting in the rut. I mean, them bucks, they're going to be cruising them and around them terrain systems and them hubs going from bedding area to bedding area. And if you can be patient and you can, you know, play the wind and thermals correctly, you can get in that spot for a few days in a row and you're probably going to get an opportunity, in my opinion. Yeah, I want to, I'm going to stick on this rabbit hole for just a second before we cut back to some more summer scouting stuff. But I'm kind of curious when you find a location like that, that you have a lot of confidence in, um, I know it's case by case, and this is such a hard thing mm-hmm. to just put it uh, like a constant to. But how many days are you comfortable sitting in some of those locations during the rut? I mean, you always hear first day is the best day. Um, 
in certain situations, yeah, you know, one day. But um, when you're in a big wood setting, I mean, it doesn't have to be a big wood setting, to be honest. It can be farm country for all I care because I've done it there. Um, if your exit and entry are fairly solid, you know, and you can understand the rut. You know, I mean, I do see bucks stick to a core area even in during the rut. Um, but I think you can get away with a little bit more because they're moving so much. You know, one buck's here today, another one will be there tomorrow. So maybe you booger up something that one day, but next two or three, you're okay. You know, another situation is going to happen. Um, but I will hunt it. If it takes one or two, if the conditions are right, fine. Like that hub system, I don't, it's like I said, seven days in a row, I think it was, wherever it was, give or take. I just didn't care. Um, and the other thing is I'm aggressive. Um, yeah, I'm not going to hunt. Say I'm hunting a creek crossing. I'm not going to hunt it where the thermals and winds is blowing to that creek crossing. But if I'm hunting a, a travel corridor, uh, this, one of these hub systems that are, that are, that are focused on travel, you know, I got six, seven, eight different trails coming to a certain, you know, location. I plan on killing something. If I'm going to burn out a spot or two, I still got five or six other chances. Now we've all been there and he comes down the trail that, you know, the wind's blowing to. And that happens. You, you, that, that's rolling the dice and you got to be aggressive. Some days you're going to get busted, but it only takes one time for him to come down the right trail and everything be correct for you. And it's game over. Your season's done. You're punching your tag, you know? So that's where I'll go in. I'll hunt an area four, five, six times in a row. If I have the bucks on camera, everything's lining up. I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to hunt it. So circle back to last season when you were, when you were pounding that spot pretty hard. Um, do you remember was, was the forecasted wind direction consistent, or is that something that's irrelevant to you at this point because it's mountain ground, it's it's inconsistent in in how it moves in that terrain? And and did that make you? I, I know you hunt mobile, so did you hunt that same spot, but you maybe adjusted ten yards this way, twenty yards that way, just to kind of give yourself a little bit of an edge, mm-hmm. depending on how the thermal yeah. was when you got yeah. there. I tell a lot of guys that you go into a spot, say you need a, you know, west wind for an area. Well, the forecast calls for east, south winds. Man, you know, it's hot. It's time to get in there, but the, the wind's just wrong or thermals are wrong. Well, you're hunting mobile. I think you'd be surprised if you sit back and really think about that spot getting into it. You can manipulate that spot. Maybe you manipulate it for 20 or 30 yards. Maybe you're not in the tree. Okay. Maybe you're just outside of that spot, but you're still in the kill zone where you can kill a deer. I think sometimes we think the, the spot, we kind of take it as a big picture. And that's where the mistake I made in this. We're going to announce rabbit holes here now, buddy. That's <laughs> so, what I'm all about, man. Fair, buddy. But this spot here, what was interesting was um, I had a camera in this spot. This spot, literally, if we remember, the rut last year sucked. It, it was so damn hot. But leading up to it, I think it was October 27th, we had a little cold snap for like a day or two. I should have went in there and told me we had east winds, southeast winds coming through. The winds sucked for this spot. Thinking back now, like this would probably the summer scout hurt me. If I was in her postseason, I probably would put this together a little bit, but I didn't in the summer. I thought I can't hunt that with the wind and thermals in that spot. And it, it was lit up. It was on fire those couple of days in there on camera. But I sat back because of the wind. And then when I finally went in there, the light bulb went on. I said, you idiot. If you would have came in here on the 26, 27, 28, you would have killed I said, because I could have manipulated a spot, I, that east wind, southeast, I would have had zero problem. I could have just hunted the edge of that that hub system, and I would have killed. You know, was the you terrain know, favorable it, it, even with that? Yes. I still would have been, like I said, not in that prime spot, but just off. But that time, them bucks were cruising. They were looking for – they must have had a hot doe or first doe come in or something in that area. 
I mean, my cameras went ballistic with mature bucks in there. All I had to do was slip in there. And I, like I said, went in there, been aggressive. Maybe you bust a little bit here and there, but it was so it was so hot in that spot. That's where you can't sit back, man. You got to go in and kill. And that was probably I'm I'm a type of guy I get pretty aggressive. I'm not going to sit back. That was probably what one of the things that really hurt me last year is I sat back a little bit instead of being aggressive. And that, like I said, I come back probably not postseason that scout that spot, and that burned me last year because that was probably my prime time of the season where I could have went in and killed. But like I said, don't be afraid to think outside the box and manipulate those spots if well, you're mobile. Well, and knowledge is power. I mean, let's face it. If you get intel that's yeah. that's pretty quick, um, it, yeah. it makes it easy to, to pounce on that. But, I mean, yeah. you know, in the opposite, I, I find myself all the time like I am – I'm not that aggressive, and I'm I'm trying to learn to be more aggressive because I know I'm missing opportunities. But I've just had many instances in my life where I sat back, I waited, I waited, I waited because I knew there was a time when I could pounce, and yeah. uh, it it's it, it comes back to knowledge is power. That the times where I've been successful, it's been because all the stars aligned and that was when i knew to get in the tree like the the buck i killed yeah. two years ago i believe it was uh that was one the night i killed him the wind for the location was off a little bit but i knew he was there and i knew i had to, i knew i had to make yeah. it count with the information i had yep. and and i lucked out so i guess in a sense i was aggressive but i hunted him twice and you know it, it's yeah we're talking about the same thing, but the interpretation is is difficult, and I'm still learning that. Yeah, like when to be aggressive and when not. It's tough. Yeah, I think that if I'd give anybody uh, advice, is to be aggressive. Um, that's how you're going to learn. You're going to screw up 99 percent of the time. But if you're a new hunter, you're going to make the water. Being aggressive, being a young hunter, or new hunter, trying to figure it out, you're going to make a ton of mistakes. Man, your your learning curve is going to get short. Um. On a side note, I've been forced to talk to some fantastic whitetail hunters across this country, some of the best of the best. Um, one thing I picked up from Andre DeQuisto, he's arguably the GOAT, and that is what I picked up from him is how aggressive he is. I, I took that from him last year. I should have applied it last year, and but it was just to see his, his success and to get to talk to him. And I thought a lot of those guys have in common too. They're not afraid to, they don't sit back. They go in and they kill. You know, they're, they're very aggressive. They don't wait. When that opportunity is there, they're going in. And I, I think that's a, from my point of view coming up, I, I grew up doing a little bit more private land hunting. When you're confined to that border, mm -hmm. I think there's yeah. a little bit of a, audible card in a sense like that because you can screw something up within your borders right but when you're talking about yeah. some of the places that we hunt in pennsylvania i mean i hunt some places that are hundreds of thousands of acres and you yeah. know, you, i know yeah. you told me before that you're you're spread out all over the place and yeah. uh when you when you've got big expanses like that you know sitting back and i heard johnny stewart say this one time like you know you get into an area that looks pretty good and you're like oh man yeah. i don't want to screw it up i'm going to tiptoe around this and then you <laughs> hunt a few days and then you're running out of time and then you buzz through it because you get pissed off and you're like, i should have been over here i should have missed this i'm like that, yeah. that's where that whole aggressive yep. thing comes in it, yep. it's a it's a hard thing to to figure out and it and not that we'll ever figure it out but i, I know that's for me that's yep. been a big learning curve for me is that aggressiveness not being afraid to cover some yeah. ground burn some spots out along the way yeah, 100%. Yeah, like I said, I think if you want to become a better bow hunter, be aggressive. So um, 
man, I had summer scouting on my mind, but now I'm just thinking so many other oh, rabbit we holes. Told we you, go man, we're going to get down some rabbit holes. <laughs> that's what, and that's what I love about it. So being aggressive, I know you do a lot of postseason scouting. You know, from the winter time, yeah. you do some summertime scouting. Do, do you usually get to a point where you're pretty confident that you don't have to do a lot of in-season scouting, or do you also do, put some boots on the ground in the fall too? Yeah, I mean, I've re- I've repeated this a few times on podcast. Um, your in-season scouting is a third of it. It's very important. Your postseason scouting is a third of it, and then your trail cam data and your stuff. Like, there's little quarters or thirds of that. You got to put all that together. Your postseason, your summer scouting, your trail cam information, your in-season scouting. If you're hunting that general area, put all that together. You're probably going to get a pretty damn good idea where you need to be. You know. That's kind of you got to the in season scouting is extremely important, especially a new area. Um, but if you take, like, if you're in an area you have a little bit of historical data with, you know, you've got a couple years underneath your belt, man, you put all those pieces together. And when you walk in in the in season, you see that open scrape line, that open rub line or something, or you cut a big track, man, you can put everything together real quick. You know, where's he bed and where's he feed and what's he doing? You can really put everything together real quick that way and get in the, in the action. All right, folks, it's that time of year for fall food plot planning, and this year I'm proud to be working with Vitalize Seed. I work with them because they're great people and they're extremely passionate about wildlife and soil health. My fall food plots will be planted in Vitalize's Carbon Load, a 16-way diverse mix that is highly attractive to whitetails and has countless benefits to soil and soil health. If you've ever been overwhelmed by the hundreds of different seed blends on the market, check out Vitalize's 1-2 planting system. It's designed how nature intended, to make biology work for you. Now each plant species in the blend has the proper ratio of seed to grow synergistically, not allowing any to outcompete another. This provides season-long forage for wildlife as well as benefiting the soil biome. There's no need for complex crop rotations with monocultures that are susceptible to drought and overbrowsing. Whether you plant with fancy no-till equipment or a bag spreader and a lawnmower, Vitalize can work in any food plot. For more information about Vitalize and soil health practices, visit VitalizeSeed.com and be sure to follow them on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So let's go. Let's go back a little bit to summer scouting now. So uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a, a snapshot into my life. So. Uh, I got uh, two young boys. I got house projects. I got this and that and the other thing. And yep. I can tell you right now that the, my priorities have shifted greatly. While my mind is on whitetails and all the things I want, you know, the, the places I'm hunting, the things I'm doing, it's all changing. And I've done very, very little off-season preparation this season to the point where it's it's a little bit alarming to me, but I've accepted the fact that this is going to be a lot different season for me, and I'm going to try to embrace yeah. it. So. I know there's other people that are listening to this and there there's other people out there that are probably in a similar boat when it comes to to digging in and summer scouting and and one key thing you said earlier was um it, or I interpreted it, it seems like it's a little bit quicker because in the winter time when you can buzz through things and see things better it's, yeah. it's kind of hard to so summertime scouting when you you know you look at terrain features you look at things you're looking on a map and stuff do you use the terrain and the map sometimes to know like i want to spend a little bit more time in here and go a little bit more thoroughly through this like dive into that um just just easing into stuff and and 
being as thorough as possible to make that best decision for fall. You know, kind of understand what I mean? Yeah, for summer scouting. Yeah, what, yeah, basically yeah. what I'm looking forward to get. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it all comes down to the e-scouting first. And, you know, it, it's pretty – for me, I've been doing it long enough, so some things are going to pop out to me. Um, you know, the clear cuts are a big hot thing, of course. We all know everybody's talking about clear cuts and the clear cuts. A lot of times you find a lot of pressure around the clear cuts, um, but that's security cover. So I will focus on – I'm going to drop a pin in certain areas that have the cover. Um, a lot of times I'm work off that, those transitions, those edges. Um, white tails are an edge animal. You know, to me, you start in the thickest, nastiest shit, and you work the edges, and you start reading that sign. That's how I start. It doesn't matter if it's posting or summer scouting. I'm kind of tackling it the same way. You're looking for cover. Or, like I said, it could be steep terrain. Start there. Um, and work the edges off of that. Work the entrance and exits of, of the terrain coming in and out of those spots. That's how I tackle it. I have a point of interest, not saying that's where I'm going to be hunting, but that's where I'm going to start my scouting, and I'm going to work through that or off of that. That's how I'm tackling it. Yeah, and that doesn't matter if it's the wintertime or the summertime. You're still working through that as best you can, even if it's no, miserable. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, like I said, I, it, yeah, it's the same. Like I'd be honest with you, like I said, people are like, well, what are you doing in the summer? I mean, a lot of my trail cam stuff, I'm hanging to cameras now and stuff like that. That takes up a large portion of my summer, getting the cameras out, you know, getting all that. I run 30, 40 cameras. That takes a while, you know what I mean, covering as areas I do. Um, but I do, like say, I didn't get to a certain area. I did it this year. I didn't get to a certain area um, this postseason. I really wanted to scout this area, so I was going to have to summertime scout it. I looked on a map. It, it lined up good. I security cover i've seen some private ag culture i'm thinking well that kind of makes sense this area it might be mountainous but it probably holds some deer and uh i got in there i kind of by the terrain i'm thinking there should be a scrape in these bottoms thermal wise and sure shit got down there started finding the signs start seeing the trout patterns find thermal hub you know you start you know the scrapes everything starts coming together even though it's green as shit and bugs and everything else I still am able to put that together to get me in the right spot. You know, like I said, unfortunately, law, this does come with experience. You got to do it. You know, I've been over 30 some years, mm -hmm. so it's going to click for me a little quicker than somebody's only been doing me for five years. So some guys got to learn. You just got to be patient. This white tail game does not happen overnight. And like you said, me and you talked even off air, you're never going to stop learning. Never are. You and know, that's why we still keep doing podcasts. Yeah, yeah, but trust me, I've been on like 30 damn things. People are tired of listening to my ass. Oh, man, now we keep listening to you. I enjoy because, like I said, I enjoy the new philosophies and stuff. So yeah. well, let, let's backtrack a little bit. So, you know, summertime, obviously vegetation's real hard, but edge is a huge thing. We already talked about that. Edge yeah. is a clear cuts, but edge, edge can be more than just clear cuts, right? It can be any kind of yeah. vegetation transition. Edge can be yep. to terrain, briars, terrain only. Mountain bull terrain. Yep. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, exactly. It absolutely can. Yeah. Yep. So on the topic of terrain, um, I've heard so many different people with different philosophies in terrain upper level versus lower level, you know, thermal hubs in the in the bottoms and the rut are better and you know, weather related stuff. I mean just very blanket. I'm just going to let you go down whatever rabbit hole you want. But when it comes to that terrain and stuff like that, how do you approach that when you get to a – because I, I 
I'm coming from myself personally. There's places I hunt that I can think the top third is going to be the best section for me at this property. Yep. And I've been at the opposite where I'm going to be like, I'm not going to spend the top half of this pro- of this mountain at all because the action's down here. And it, it might be food-related. It might be cover-related. But, I mean, talk a little bit on that, Ryan. It, it, yeah, we all hear about the upper one-third. Mm-hmm. Damn good spot to kill a deer. And we hear about killing one down thermal hub. Damn good spot to kill a deer. You know what they all have? The best spots, in my opinion, all have the same thing in common. It doesn't matter where they are, up or down, left or right. It's a lot of that diversity of habitat. Edge, cover, terrain, a lot of things coming together in one location. A lot of times that what makes a spot, either it's on the upper one-third of the ridge or it's down the bottom. Um, a lot of it's the diversity, in my opinion, of an area that really makes it good or bad. I like that. I like that. So, um, summertime scouting, again, it, it's miserable. What are some of the tools of the trade that you like to bring with you? I mean, you're running cameras constantly, right? But, I mean, what are some of the other yeah. things that you might have to have that you usually like to have with you when you're when you're going through something like this? Uh, number one thing, I got to have food, man. I got to eat. <laughs> yeah, you eat about 4,000 calories a day, right? We got we got to have the snacks and on top of snack. Like if I don't have my food, I'm I'm we ain't going nowhere. <laughs> a lot of food and water, let's say that, but uh but uh yeah, you know what? I carry a I think if I had the Kuyu, I'm actually looking at it now. I think it's the 1800 or two. I can't remember which one it is, but uh man, I, I got I can pretty much live out of that damn thing. Um like I said, trail cameras right now, I always have this time of year. I I can you put like three or four cameras in there um you know my hangers all that stuff um i'm big on doctoring my scrapes up pretty much 90 plus percent of my cameras are going over scrapes so i have my scrape kit in there um, my scrape kit consists of two different pouches one i run buck fever um whatever you run you know whatever your confidence in but i run buck fever the other pouch i keep some rubber gloves small little saw some uh zip ties stuff like that doctoring up i'll add some licking branches stuff like that really beef i like to beef the licking branches up to the, sometimes you find a great scrape they've ripped the licking branch down i want to have enough stuff here zip ties up that i'll go beef that back up again make it look natural um that's all kind of but just odds and ends in there but uh uh like i said it, it, it's you know pretty much from postseason to summertime i pretty much keep about similar stuff in my pack all the time so outside of trail cameras so trail cameras you know you're making your big push in the summertime, mostly, correct? Yeah, yeah. June, after turkey season, that's usually when I start getting out. Um, a lot of my SD cams will go up in June, um, and I will check those end of August. Um, my cell cams, I'll run cell cams. I have no problem with cell cams. I love running cell cams. Um, I don't hunt over my cell cams. Um, that's just my type of hunting. Uh, they're inventory purpose for me. Um, now I may see that camera from where I'm hunting or be within a certain, you know, 50, 60 yards, some locations, sometimes I might be 200 yards off it, but my cell cameras for inventory purpose, I just want to know they're in there, you know? Um, and I typically start to put those out in July, uh, run lithium batteries. A lot of times I've been having pretty good luck just with lithium batteries in my cell cams, uh, one picture, zero delay. I can pretty much run the whole way up through the season. I don't have to worry about checking them. Um, I am starting to get a little more solar solar panels now because, uh, uh, as we all know, lithium batteries are ridiculous right now. So I'm starting to run a little bit more solar panels and let them out and not run the lithiums anymore. Yeah, I think last year I paid a buck twenty per lithium battery, and I just ordered yeah. a bunch for the scouting mission that I'm about to do, and I think they're a buck fifty a, a piece. Yeah, it just keep. I dropped about five. Yeah, I'll drop five, six hundred dollars in freaking batteries this year. Oh, it, yeah, it, it's, it's insane. It doesn't it's take insane. much. 
It no, doesn't take it, much. It's insane. Nope. But, it's insane. So camera inventory. So re- regular SD cards or cell cameras, you you're, you got them for inventory. So do you actually like to use cameras and put them in locations that you're, there's probably no way you're going to hunt there, but when it's in the summer months, it's giving you inventory of what you have? Or are all your camera locations relatively within firing distance of of places that you think this is probably where i'm going to be hunting it's situational like i can't give you like i am within shooting distance of every camera sure. or 50, you know what i mean like i said some situations um you know i may be 50 60 yards off of uh off a of, because if i can hunt and shoot to a scrape great you know in my situation like late october scrape hunt's phenomenal mid-october scrape hunt's phenomenal um, you get in a rut, it can still be great. You know, if I got a couple good bucks showing up on a scrape with a cell cam on, well, yeah, I'm going to go in and, you know, if I have the opportunity to kill one off there, I kill one off there. Um, but what I like to do is sometimes the terrain habitat for a kill opportunity to kill tree, I'm off of that scrape a lot of times. And that's where I'm killing my kill tree. I have my kill tree. So maybe I'm 75, 80 yards or whatever from that inventory that cell cams up there getting the inventory i have three four shooters on camera i know if i get in that general area where i think i need to be kill i'm probably going to get into one and kill one you know Mm. that's kind of how i play it i don't necessarily the scrapes in general yes i would like to shoot to it in general you know what i mean even if it has a camera or no camera um but to me the terrain the diversity all that's got to play into that kill tree that's what's important. You got to put yourself in the right spot to kill. Just because your camera's telling you this over here doesn't mean you need to be there because the wind could be screwing, your thermals could be screwing you, all that stuff. So you got to remember that. Just because that camera's telling you there doesn't mean you're going to kill them there. Do all camera locations for you require a mock scrape or some kind of focal point? Uh, my camera locations, like I said, I'd say ninety plus percent of my my camera setups are going to be over. And, a, and I'd say 90% of them are a natural scrape. Okay. I prefer to find a natural scrape. Now, I have no problem with scrapes. I've had fantastic luck. A lot of my situations, usually there is a natural scrape in a rounder. I can doctor up, beef it up a little bit more, you know, to my liking. Um, every scrape's different, too. Sometimes you got your good primary scrapes that you'll, you'll get deer on all year. Sometimes you get your more of a rut-type scrape. They're only going to really hit that as the season progresses. You know, you'll kind of learn that as you go a little bit. But 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 in general, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought there. We'll tell you how You're good, man. You're good, man. <laughs> my, my damn AC kicked on and fucking threw me off. <laughs> but anyway, I think what we were saying, excuse me, I'll get back to it. We are saying about my cameras on, majority of them are on scrapes. Yeah. The other thing I really do like to put them on is uh, a ditch crossing or creek crossing. Um, that's phenomenal, too. Um, I love creek crossings i've had some fantastic luck on creek crossings there's great luck on them i find so many times creek crossings are just in big woods like the creek crossings that come to my mind a lot of the time it's where multiple hollows or or ditches meet yeah um, things like that and they're just so hard to access and hunt with because just because it's just like a bowl effect and i find it's really hard yeah they can be difficult a couple instances i have good luck I've had good luck in the farm country areas with creek crossings, mm. uh, hill country, farm country. Um, we used to hunt a lot of flood controlled areas, um, which of course a lot of creek systems around. And those bogs are just thick and nasty, just big bedding areas. 
man, you could access up that creek and you find a dynamite creek crossing. Oh man, it, it's it's that's a hell of a location to sit all day and catch in bucks. They'll either run those creeks up and down parallel or they'll cross that creek crossing. You got you got just an intersection there travel. Just they, I've killed a lot of bucks in the flood bottom, the creek bottoms areas like that. Just phenomenal hunting. Yeah. One thing I do all the time when I'm scouting new areas, I did this last fall. I mean, there's a couple areas in particular that I'm going to be scouting here soon. Um, but I put boots on the ground and get into, let's just say, a point system. And I, I get to this point and I see something that looks really appealing and I might have four or five cameras with me and I stick a, I, you know, I stick a camera there or vice versa. I'll do something where I find something that looks good, but I'm like, I think I can find something better. And then I go a little bit further and I don't find what I want. Yeah. I end up sticking it on a, <laughs> on a logging road that meets to it. And I, I <laughs> logging roads are great, but I just always, yeah. I always feel like I want to have my camera at the spot where there's the most intersection in one location to try to get yes. the best and i struggle yes. with that all the time and i'm sure you do too oh yeah that that's why you always carry uh if i plan on putting out three or four cameras i have five or six you know on me i always carry extra with me at least one or two cameras extra what i plan on I, you know like i got this saturday i know i'm going to three spots put cameras out guaranteed got them marked on the maps but I'd wander off. I, like I said, I summertime scout. I may see something, something I may cut a big track. Who knows what it is? Something's going to interest me and I take off somewhere. I want to have a camera to my bag just to cover that situation where I'm not leaving something pretty good to think I'm going to find something better. And I don't. And before you know, it, you're two and a half miles from that spot that actually was pretty damn good. So I'll put a camera up. I find a spot like, eh, I need to put a camera. I'm going to put a camera there. I'm not going to walk away from that area if that's my purpose of the day is putting cameras out. One question I wanted to ask you, um, I, you've talked a lot in the past, I've heard on other podcasts, and you're talking about it tonight, about um, scrapes are important to you, you know, congregation of, of where you get uh, travel corridors that meet and stuff, just high yeah. traffic areas and stuff for the rut. Do rubs mean a lot to you? <sighs> yes and no. I, I, I don't, you know, the priority is usually going to be the scrape. Um, I just did a, a YouTube video with uh, Jake Bush. With, with We went over the, like, I was kind of in a hub system. In that situation there, rubs are really important um, because what they helped me do was fine-tune those multiple travel corridors to one location. Um, there was a lot of, no, not really big rubs, but there was a lot of rubs that were aggressive, like thumb size or bigger saplings just sheared off that tells me that's a pretty good buck when i find a lot of that in a certain area going to a certain direction well i can see where that mature buck what his where he wants to go where he's favoring that helps me fine-tune that tree and that look in that kind of specific uh thing that what happens is like with rubs there that really helps me fine-tune that tree i want to be in um i see rubs all the time sometimes i pay attention sometimes that's what gets me started going a certain way off a cut or off an edge you know what i mean you know you're walking edge you don't see something you cut a big rub well okay then I, that gets me going somewhere you know what i mean that'll that gets my interest possibly somewhere but in a general when it comes to fine-tuning my tree setups you know, the rubs, they'll kind of really dictate, they'll show you where those mature bucks are wanting to travel, where they prefer. You really, a lot of times what I like is a historical sign. You find years worth of that stuff, the aggressiveness or big rubs in a certain line or a certain travel pattern. Um, that tells you the immature bucks are liking that area. And you can definitely find that. It seems it's a little bit harder to find that 
now than before. And the reason I think that is just because amongst food sources changing, there's also more pressure in some of these places. It's hard to get that yeah. consistent pattern in a lot of those places. Yeah, One yeah. Th- it, it's histor- That's why historical signs so important. When you do find an area that has historical sign, that's telling you a lot. They're, they're wanting to go with the pressure, no pressure, whatever. Those bucks are wanting to utilize that area every year. Mm. And that's what I'm keying in on. For, for an all-day sitting in a rut, I want an area that I may not be right in the sign. You know what I mean? Maybe the terrain, everything sets up where, but I have historical sign. I have something around there telling me they prefer this area. I may have to work off that sign 50, 60 yards, and I'm on that ditch crossing. There's no sign around that ditch crossing. But everything outside of there is kind of leading to that. So I know I can kill them here. And that historical signs tell me they utilize this spot a lot. Mm. Uh, security cover something you, you said earlier in the conversation is pretty important to you. Um, however, I can think of a lot <laughs> of instances and places I've hunted in big woods where, uh, let's just say security covers on top. And then you get into some, some side, large side hills and drainages and things like that. Maybe there's benches on there. Um, you might get into a situation on side hills, benches, hollows where you get good terrain features that meet in the middle, but it's not really related to security cover. It's, it's kind of off a little bit. And, uh, Certain cases, I have had really good luck in rut movement with deer moving yeah. through those areas, even though it's a lack of security cover. So, I mean, is that something you ever run into? And is there, are there times where you look at and say, hey, this relates to security cover? And I think a buck could still move in daylight here, even though it's, man, it's like a hundred year old forest. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Like, there, there's so many different situations. Sure. Like, like, Always and never, those two words do not exist in white on They don't. So a situation may come up. That's where, like, I get a spot like that. Like, it looks good. Maybe it's not making a whole lot of sense to me. You know, there's not the covers in a distance or something's just not lining up. That's where I'm going to dump a camera. Maybe I don't give it a sit this year, okay? Maybe I don't. I have other spots. I, I got 10 other spots that I feel pretty damn good about. This spot, eh, maybe it's going to turn out pretty good. That's where a lot of times I will put a camera or two, let that camera hunt for me for the season, come back, pull that card. You might be pretty surprised if I have one that camera. Okay, there's multiple shooters that use that bench system. I need to go in there. Now I need to put those pieces of the puzzle together. Why? Work that bench off. Work those trails. Work that system out. Maybe it's three-quarters of a mile away. There's the nastiest shithole you've ever seen in your entire life. It's a 100-acre, you know, of just shit, a you know, mountain laurel something that doesn't show up on a map. Then the light bulb goes on. Ah, oh, I see what's going on here. And then the other side, maybe there's some type of food source or doe bedding. Who knows what it is? You know what I mean? But you get in there, once you get some of that data, then you start breaking that down in, in the postseason to put that all together. You know, you need to figure out that why. Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me because – um, I've got, uh, an area in particular that I, uh, this will be, I think this will be season three that I've got some cameras yeah. in and I don't have a lot. I might have, um, somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 12 cameras in this specific location. But, uh, my mindset from the beginning, I took this from Bo, um, East meets West, not that long ago about <laughs> talking about, you know, having a, a, a little bit of 
history in those locations. I know he's talked kind of like a three-year strategy, had him on the show yeah. this winter and using a three-year strategy of kind of collecting that information, coupling yeah. that, that trail camera information with scouting boots on the ground and then kind of going mm-hmm. in for formulation. I've kind of had that mindset with this location specifically, but I, I like how where my mind goes and what you just said is you're taking one picture on this system, but it's allowing you to expand boots on the ground to fine tune why he's doing what he's doing. And that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, like say that situation there, you got a camera run, you got two or three mature bucks that run that system. Well, you, well, okay. You got a piece of the puzzle there. Now you're looking for the, why are they doing this? If things aren't lined up, security cover stuff like that, you know what I mean? But sometimes you work off of that and you find something better. Now, that's also what can happen, okay? You know those bucks are in that general area. You know, that's a pretty good spot, but maybe that's only a C-level, B-level spot. Maybe that A-level spot's 300 yards in another direction. You kind of got a focal point there, okay? You got mature bucks in the area, and I've done that a lot where now my boots on the ground scouting is I work off of that, and I find something even better. I've done that a lot of times. That leads me to where an area maybe that does have a little more security cover i feel a little more confident i'm gonna get more daylight activity and get an opportunity at something you know instead of two or three times on that bench now maybe i found a spot where there's more bucks maybe six seven eight times coming through an area during the rut you know you know just in general you know what i mean that's a lot of times what i'll do you spend a lot of time in the woods postseason and during the season and i'm kind of curious like I think there's only so many moments when you're when you're scouting, preparing that you have kind of like an aha moment of of yeah. such. I'm kind of curious. How often do you have an aha moment when you're breaking down a spot? Uh, you mean you mean like finding like just like where you, where you go scouting. now? I finally feel like I've I've honed in on this because because I mean you know the more time yeah, you spend I mean, right the I more you figured out. Like every Saturday, I'm out in the woods. Say it's postseason, or it could be even summertime. I'm I'm scouting in general, not cameras, just scouting in general. You know, a lot of times I go all damn day, seven, eight, nine miles, and sometimes at the end of the day, I finally find something that that, that you know I'm interested in. You know, but to find like I'm talking spots, like man, I I just like damn, this is it. It don't happen very often. That, that just, you know what I mean? It takes a lot of times. I only get a couple spots. Like this year, actually, like I said, I had a pretty good postseason. I ended up finding a, a couple spots. You know, usually I might find one or two I'm really excited about. I got a few more this year I feel pretty damn good about, you know, breaking down some of these areas. Um, but they don't come around very often. That's why I think some guys might get a little frustrated when you're putting in a lot of miles and you're not finding nothing. you just got to keep walking mm-hmm. you know even if you you know what you're looking at on the map stuff like that a lot of times you go in there it, there's hunting pressure there's tree stands there's trash you know it, you got to cross that area off possibly um but you got to put a lot of miles on to find the, the to me as a rut hunter this is a rut hunter talking sure. not early season better on of it but to find like a good solid travel gore corridor or something that i feel really confident i could sit a day or two or whatever many days all day to kill something man it, it takes a lot of miles uh, i only find a couple a year to be honest with you and a lot of times i do go back into areas i love i i feel great about i will go like at hub system it's a great i'm going back in and fine tuning you know or okay i got a fantastic spot right here 
the like you said, the wind. Third, you got to go in and manipulate that spot. Okay, maybe now I go in there. Okay, I got another. I got option B and C in here also. If I manipulate the spot of the tree stand, so when you go back in, don't be afraid to go back into these spots in the postseason in the summer scouting to be able to manipulate these areas for different wind, different thermals, or everything's or you know, curveball comes around at you during the season where you can go in and you can still kill in those spots also. You know, the one spot might have one kill tree before you know it, you might break it down, you might have two or three possibly in a general area. Mm. One thing I do a lot, so you know, scouting is obviously extremely important. There's a there's a lot of mm-hmm. there's a lot of attention, especially on on a podcast like mine, for you know somebody that's big into scouting and, and pick their brains and stuff. But Ryan, there's sometimes when I when I I talk scouting with guys on shows, I feel like we almost make it more complicated than it really is, and we kind of beat a dead horse with the same stuff over and yeah. over again. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I've learned talking with you, talking with Bo back in the wintertime, a lot of guys is we don't need to make this overly complicated, but it does take time and some miles on it to really have the success you get out of it. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, like, there's, I, I get a lot of messages from young guys, new hunters, and you just can't teach experience. You can't teach hundreds and thousands of hours in a tree stand and even i'm talking miles miles are important on boots but i still say the number one teacher is the white tail itself and he's going to teach you when you're up at that tree and you know you're putting in hours and hours in the season now everybody has that chance i get that you know what i mean but but you got to put time in a tree um you have to that's where you're going to learn that's where you're going to get busted you're going to learn what a mature buck does that's when even a doe i don't care if it's a doe or buck what it is Time in the tree is the most important thing. And I think we do put, we do beat the dead horse with some of this. You know what I mean? Um, we overcomplicate it. Um, white tails are very intelligent. Um, I don't think they're that intelligent that they're made out to be sometimes, to be honest with you. Sometimes you just got to be on good ground, to be honest. With you. If you're on good ground, you're going to kill white tails consistently. When you're on, below average or average ground that's when it gets a little more difficult and guys get frustrated that is where you got to do put a little bit more boots on the ground a little more time in the tree um to be successful but you know like i said i think sometimes yeah we do uh we do make it a little more complicated than it needs to be i feel that all the time and that's not knocking anybody because it is but you know scouting is one of those things to me where um sign sign is a given terrain is a is a little bit of a given slash preference you got to learn that a little bit and it comes down to boots on the ground and trying to put things together i do think it is easy to overlook stuff in the summertime i've done that so many times and that's one of my biggest fears that i'm gonna gonna overlook you know thinking back were there any um we kind of talked about this a little bit i was kind of curious as anything stands out as easily overlooked last year to this year things that you easily overlook in the summertime just generally speaking yeah, like I said, when you have that thick cover, you can. It's hard to really, you know, look at the big picture. I guess you could say. And like I said, we get back to the beginning of the podcast. We're talking about I was hunting that hub system. Mm-hmm. You know, being everything was condensed, I couldn't see as good. I think maybe if I went in there in postseason, well, I could see the big picture. It, it, in my head, I kind of zoom out like Google Earth. To be honest, that's how I do it, and I can kind of see just how my head works with these damn white tails. I can just look at the big picture and I can just visualize how the travel is going to be, how the edge transition, how that all flows. For whatever reason, I just can put that all together in my head. Postseason, it's easy to do that. Summertime, everything's more 
tightening in, I guess, you know what I mean? It is harder to put those pieces together there and really visualize it. And like that there is overlooked. If I would have seen it with no leaves, I could have known I could have manipulated a spot. Going in there whenever you can't see 15 feet, you know, in some spots, it's hard to put that together. Mm-hmm. So uh, switching gears a little bit, um, you're talking about it's hard to beat uh, learning from the whitetail itself, you know, being spending mm-hmm. time in the tree yeah. stand stuff. I'm kind of curious in all your experience and everything else, What what's one thing about – archery hunting whitetails white hunt, whatever that you go man i want to i want to get better at this i want to fine-tune this i want to get i want to put a little bit more time is there anything like that that stands out that you want to you want to get better as a deer hunter i mean i've been doing for a long time and like we talked before i mean i can't really put a a finger on exactly one thing i think just in general i just i just want to be a better whitetail hunter just in general you know i'm always listening to podcasts watching YouTube, listen to, you know, speaking to some of the best of the best, picking their brains. You know, I have my system. Everybody knows I'm a rut hunter, you know, um, but I could be a better early October hunter. You know, and that's why I look at it. You know, maybe I'm not necessarily a bed hunter, but there's things in my game. I could be more aggressive in October. Sometimes I get, to be honest with you, I'm so used to rut hunting, you know, once it gets in the 20s of October and November, that's my time. Maybe instead of sitting back and being a little lazy those first three weeks of October, maybe I need to become a better hunter, be more aggressive there to where instead of punching my tag on November 9th, maybe I can punch my tag on October 10th. You know what I mean? Where I can jump to another state then. You know, sometimes I think I sit back a little bit waiting for the rut. Maybe I need to be a little more aggressive uh, other times of the year, like especially in October, you know. Because um, I will say, I've talked to this before in podcasts, I actually think um, – on public private you can get in some food plot stuff again you can get them deer pattern and kill them public i think one of the most dangerous things if you can find them because they're not moving far from their core area that middle of october man on scrapes is deadly i cannot tell you how many mature bucks i get on camera um that mid-october now 2022 i didn't have i had like one buck he was showing all over the place in daylight um but years prior that middle of the month with like the october law does not exist that does not exist if you can find these bucks, they're not moving much. If you can find them, you can kill them. They're on a pattern, either on that scrape or going to a, a food source right off that security cover. You can kill them consistently if you can find them. I always believed that the lull was something mostly caused by human pressure. You know, you have human 100%. Human, human pressure going in preseason 100%. or the first yeah. week or something like that, and then all of a sudden these deer yep. go, they're, they're nocturnal. You know, it's too hot, it's this and that. Yep. And I, I – uh, uh, there was a time I believed that when I when I until I learned yeah. things I was doing wrong and go yeah this this is yes. baloney. Yeah, I believe there's a law, but it is human pressure related. Especially like I said in Pennsylvania, there's a lot of freaking hunters, and in a couple of general areas in the state, it's ridiculous. First day, first couple of weeks of archery, those deer they've been around two or three years. They know, and a lot of times what I've noticed hunting public land, um, probably why I'm not really super successful early part of October is. I'll get some good bucks on camera. We all know the week or two before season, everybody's out in the woods putting ladder stands up, putting all that pressure on. A deer that's even two years old, he's been there, done this. He knows what's going on. I think a lot of those bucks will shift to private a lot of times early to mid-October 
um, before their testosterone is really starting to raise and they're starting to move a lot. Um, I think they just shifted little pockets. There is pockets on, on public, of course, you can find them. Um, but I think a lot of will transition to a lot of the private where they're not getting much pressure. And eventually their testosterone rises and it gets them in trouble. And I think like as public land guys, that's why I concentrate on the rut where those bucks have shifted off for the early and mid-October due to pressure. But then I'll see them shift back in a lot of areas as the rut builds up. Well, and another thing too, even if they don't, they might not shift far, but I think about big woods, public land, heavy security cover, mountain laurel, rhododendron, clear cuts, all those things. Um, I personally believe in some of the places I've experienced, they're still in those areas, but the amount of daylight movement or the distance they move during daylight yeah. in that first part is just not as far. There could be cases yeah. where they push off a half mile within their, their yeah, home range that's and come more back. Farm country. I've noticed that more in the farm country okay. um, where, where those pieces are a lot smaller. You get in 10,000 plus some thousand acres of big woods, mountains. So yeah, that's, that's where you see them. They're not leaving that core area. They're just transitioning to a little pocket where they're not coming out of the nastiest shit in the world. They're just not coming out until after dark due to the right. pressure. Do you have a do you have a favorite uh, whitetail hunt place place to hunt? I, I know you hunt mobile, so I wasn't going to say style, but uh, place or or just uh, I, I want to say location base or maybe terrain type. Like, what's your favorite? of all or is it just wherever there's mature buck i mean wherever wherever the the i'm having you know i want an area where i'm gonna have multiple opportunities like it's it's hard to chase i don't hunt one buck i just don't do it it's hard to do in pa especially in the public and big big mountains big woods man that's some guys if you can do it man hats off that's tough um so i'm looking for an area you know if i get a camera pull and i got two three maybe four mature bucks that's and, I, and however that sets up, if it's either a, a hub system, a creek crossing, a ditch crossing, um, the upper third uh, running cruising a ridge top below a doe bedding, it doesn't matter. I'm looking for an area that's going to hold multiple mature bucks because in a rut, I feel pretty confident if I hunt a couple general locations around that spot, one of those are going to eventually come by me. Absolutely, absolutely. Um... Anything specific, anything specific you're looking forward to this fall? Uh, Iowa. <laughs> I drew the <laughs> Iowa tag, so uh, um, that's probably going to be a good chunk of my, you know, that's my main priority is going to be there. I'll probably leave around the 30th of October, and I'll have about three weeks to put out there. Um, PA left a bad taste in my mouth last year. Um, that was, like I said, my toughest season I probably ever had. Um, so part of me would like to either kill a good one before I go out, or I'm hoping uh, if the good Lord blesses me of a good buck in Iowa and I have some time here in PA, um, I'm going to come back and even the score, hopefully if one of these mountain bucks in PA, that's, uh, that's kind of be honest. It might be my ultimate goal is, uh, Aaron, a, a good PA buck just, uh, to get this bad taste out of my mouth from the 2022 season. Cause, uh, I burned my tags and everything. I, I don't even want to remember 2022 anymore. <laughs> man, that's some, uh, that's some serious emotion behind that. Oh, I tell you what, man, it, she, she was a rough one. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? One thing I really liked though, I, I did follow along with a good portion of your season and amidst yeah. the, 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 difficulty uh you kept a yeah. very very positive mindset and good attitude yeah. throughout it all it's hunting man it's just i mean i i live and breathe you know what 
you got to have your priorities in order. It's got to be the good Lord. And it's got to be your family. Amen. For me, then the third number three is whitetails, man. I absolutely, it is my passion. It drives anybody listening to me on a podcast can probably figure that out. My passion for whitetails. But at the end of the day, it's a damn deer. Um, I've been fortunate and blessed to kill some good deer and I've killed a lot of deer. Um, so I guess that kind of eases the pain on a tough season. Um, but we all got to remember sometimes we get tied up with all this bullshit, podcast, social media, stuff like that. Man, I'm getting older. I, I enjoy just being out there in nature itself and God's world and, and just enjoying it. And you know what? It, it, end of the day, it's just my religious side. If the good Lord said it ain't happening, it ain't happening, boys and girls. And that's how I look at it. You know, if it's not meant to be, it's not to, meant to be. You can't lose any sleep over. You know, you just got to be, enjoy the moment uh, that you're given. That, yeah. That's kind of how I look at it more older I get. And sometimes the lesson isn't in the kill. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like last year, I got my butt kicked. But I learned so much hunting that new area. I, I, I would I couldn't postseason scout or summer scout enough to learn what I did last season spending that much time in a tree. I learned so much where I am confident, more confident going. Hey, hunting Big Woods Mountains, I may go two or three years not killing a good buck. That that's just part of the game hunting Pennsylvania when you're hunting it. Um, but I'm okay with that, especially when you start to raise your bar a little bit. That's part of the game, and you've got to be okay with that. Like I said, it ain't all about the likes and stuff on social media. Hunt your own hunt. I don't care if you're shooting a four-corn or you're shooting a 140-incher. Be happy with what you hunt or what you kill, and don't worry about all the other bullshit. Amen to that. One thing I think you learned, though, is if you can draw Iowa, you should definitely do it on a year after yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where you just draw Iowa. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's no guarantee in anything in life, but uh, I feel a little bit better having Iowa tag in the back pocket this year. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully, Lord willing, you can punch them both. Yeah, that's that. That's the ultimate goal. I'll be I'll be a happy camper at the end of the season if that's the case for sure. Good deal. Well, hey, thanks a lot for. Uh, taking some time BSing with us hoping to have you back on another time and do a little bit more BSing because yep. there's yep. a lot of rabbit yeah, holes man. we could go time. down oh yeah like I said we went yeah we were everywhere but that's alright man that makes it fun absolutely something to take from it so thanks again Ryan yep yep thank you